0: I've been doing a series called New Normals. And it's this idea that culture around us is constantly telling us what's normal and redefining things, saying, this is what's normal. But for us, we know that God's word never changes. And so we need to see for the Lord, from him, what's his new normal for us. And I think, like, I don't know if you guys realize this, but Christianity, at least in America, and definitely different parts of the world. At different times, we used to be kind of on top in the sense of our religion was recognized. Um, There's a time in America where, you know, Christianity was like the number one religion. Everyone went to church. Most people would say, yes, I am a Christian. Uh, Creation was taught in schools. People prayed in schools. It was very normal to be a Christian in America, and it didn't actually cost you that much to be a Christian in America. But right now, we're living in probably what can be called a post-Christian age. And what that means is, we're in an age right now where, I don't know if you guys have noticed this in your schools, but a lot of people, the way they act is, they act in a way where they're kind of saying, we don't need God. God doesn't need to be a part of our life. Um, People make their own gods. They worship whatever they want. Some people make science their God instead of realizing that God is the God who wrote the laws of science. We become a culture that's very self-dependent. We have so much stuff. Uh, we have social media that keeps us entertained. We have video games. We have television constantly streaming YouTube videos. Most people don't believe in God nowadays. And, and to be a Christian is not the normal. And the world views Christians as ignorant, unintelligent, uh, bigoted, hateful. And the reality is that many people who claim to be Christians were those things. We, there was a lot of people who claimed to be Christians throughout history who were really uh, intolerant and, and very hypocritical and, and very religious and, and um, just really being down on other people. I would say that nowadays we're, we're in a time in this post-Christian age, it's never been a more important time to be an actual true follower of Jesus, to actually truly act the way Jesus acts. And Our culture is full of a lot of new normal ideas. Like for instance, homosexuality is one that culture is saying this is the norm now and and even transgenderism is one. Um, We heard last week from Dylan about how drugs and alcohol is a new normal. So many of you guys in your life, you, you go through situations where you're in your school and people are offering you drugs and you're going to parties and people are offering you drugs and it just seems very much like a new normal. Like, hey, everyone does this. Um, For many people, social media is a new normal and even pornography is a new normal. You see it all the time. Sometimes even on Instagram, you open it up and there's things in your feed. Uh, Many of you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, For many people, sex before marriage is the new normal. And uh, many of you guys in your school, you may have realized this, you've come across people who've offered to do those things with you or they've asked you to do those things with them or you know friends who are sleeping around. But it's not as shocking as it once was in culture. It's a new normal and on the result of that is now we have a new normal where girls get pregnant and they get abortions and it's considered a new normal. And culture is constantly changing. But God's word does not change and that's why the early Christians, I'm talking about the 12 disciples and beyond. They were so passionate. They knew they had the words of life and they were willing to suffer and die. These guys were willing to be thrown to the lions. They were willing to have the police chasing them, kicking down their door, dragging their families away and throwing them into prison, it wasn't just a hobby. It wasn't just a social club. It wasn't just a Wednesday night get-together group around a fire. For the early Christians, it was Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to God except through him. And without him, there is no life. There's only death. But over the past 2,000 years, there's been a shift. And there's a time when following Jesus was something that you lived for. It was the air that you breathed. It was the normal. But I believe now, as 21st century believers, there is a new normal, not just for non-believers, but for Christians. And I think tonight, the focus of tonight's message for Christians, I wanna talk about what's become the new normal for Christians. And that's what I call silent Christianity. Silent Christianity. It's this idea of my relationship with Jesus, it's a personal thing. I keep it to myself. I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and I get strength for me for the rest of the week. And, and God really exists to help me with my problems in my life and I don't really talk about it that much. I don't really acknowledge it. People in my school wouldn't really know I'm a Christ follower because I'm not open about it. I stay <clears throat> silent. It's silent Christianity. And the question I wanna ask you guys tonight, is that sort of Christianity right? Is this how Jesus meant us to live our faith? It's an important time. You guys need to know, you're not the future church. Guys, Like you are not the future Christians of the world. You are the church of today, young people. You are the church of right now. It is an important time to be a follower of Jesus in a world full of new normals. How do we not only survive, but thrive in this crazy environment that we're in? So let's turn to the story of Daniel. And we'll see what we can learn. So before we look at Daniel chapter six, I'm gonna give you guys a backstory and kind of where we've been in the whole book. We haven't been studying through Daniel. I'd love to do a series on Daniel, but tonight we're just picking out a story in the story. So here's the backstory on Daniel. Um, Daniel lives in Jerusalem and... Babylon, which was the big empire of the time. So think you live in a small town, and like the government comes and overthrows your town. Babylon, this big evil empire ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar, comes in, overthrows Israel, and now all of these teenagers, all of these young men specifically, so teenage guys from the age of about 14 to 17, 18 years old, are abducted. The king comes in with his soldiers and abducts these young guys out of their homes and drags them off of the city. See the King Nebuchadnezzar, he had this plan. He thought, you know, I could just conquer Israel. I could just come in. I could kill them. I could wipe them out, but I'm going to do something even more amazing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to kidnap their finest, the the boys from the noble families, the rich, wealthy families. I'm going to take the pride and joy of Israel. Like these guys who are just the quarterback Kings of Israel, these young men, I'm going to take them and I'm going to bring them and I'm going to make them like me. I'm gonna make them forget everything about Yahweh, their God. I'm gonna make them forget everything about the religion. They will become Babylonians. They will forget everything they knew, everything their parents taught them and they will become like me. They'll have my religion. They'll worship my gods, not God, not Yahweh, but gods, multiple false gods. Um, They will will act like me. They will talk like me. They'll have drunk parties like me. They will be like princes in my kingdom. In, in, In this way, it was this idea that he had to completely humiliate Israel to bring in their young men and brainwash them and force them to become a part of Babylonian culture. And there's four young men you might recognize who got kidnapped and brought into this system, Daniel and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Most of you guys know the stories of them that we find in the Bible. So even though they're in this sinful culture, they're loyal to Yahweh. I, I say Yahweh a lot. If you don't know, it's the name of our God. Our, our God's name isn't God, it's Yahweh. And they're loyal to Yahweh. Uh, in, early in the story, they're offered the king's, the, the king has this big banquet, and on the table there's wine and there's food and just all the stuff, it's all laid out for them. And, and it's not just Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's a bunch of young men from Israel. And they're brought before the king. The king says, hey, young men, I, I want you to know you're not prisoners here. You're welcome guests, please. Eat the food at my table. Whoa. But Daniel looks at the food and the wine, and he knows that God has called him. It's kind of an interesting story. It's like, what's the big deal about food and wine? But for Daniel, he knows that there's something about this food, whether it was offered to idols or whether it's, it's involved in some sort of sinful lifestyle. He just says, I don't want any part of it. King, I want you to know that I'm thankful for what you're trying to do for us, but Yahweh, our God, will supply everything we need. Just give us fruits and vegetables and water. And everyone's like, Daniel, you're, you're crazy. Because what the king was really offering them was a lifestyle. He was saying, young men, I'm inviting you into my lifestyle of partying. All the wine you can want, all the girls and women that you can want, all the food you can want. It's every teenage boy's dream. Unlimited free amount of alcohol, food, and girls. It's, it's, it's like, who would say no to that? And it's the opportunity for Daniel and his friends to be a silent believer in that moment. To say, you know what? We really don't wanna be put to death, so let's just eat the food, let's just drink the wine, let's party with the girls, and then we'll go home and we'll repent later. Because right now it's about survival. It's the opportunity to be a silent believer. But Daniel says, no, I'm gonna live my faith openly. And he inspires Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to do the same. So they openly resist sin. They say, king, we're not gonna do it. And you know what happens? The king doesn't kill them, he promotes them. He's so impressed by them. After they eat the fruits and vegetables for, for about a month or so, they're more healthy than everyone else. And they're more sharp than everyone else because everyone else is probably drunk crazy. They're so sharp and they're so wise. The king says, these are guys I want around. And he promotes them. It's amazing. Now you guys know the story of the fiery furnace that happens in Daniel chapter three. Again, King Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant statue of himself and says, hey, everyone, bow down and worship it. Worship me. Now, if you don't want to die, I mean, it's not that big a deal to bow down to a statue, right? Like if someone came up to you and was like, hey, I'm going to kill you unless you bow down to this statue, I mean, again, opportunity to be a silent believer, to be like, yeah, I'll bow down like everyone else. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have just bowed down to the statue and then said, Lord, like they could have bowed down and prayed to Nebuchadnezzar, but then in their mind said, God, I'm not really praying to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm praying to you. Please don't, like, Lord, you know, this is all fake, I'm just trying to survive. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decide to not be silent believers, but they're, they're vocal. They say, King, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not gonna bow down to this statue. Like, we worship one God, and that's Yahweh. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He throws them into a fiery furnace and they survive. The the fire is so hot that the guards who throw them in actually die from the heat, and they get thrown in and they survive. It's this amazing story. So right now, we're looking at Daniel. Daniel and his friends are so relatable, I think, to high school students, because most of you guys are in an environment where it's filled with sin, whether you're in a public school or a Christian school. How many of you guys go to a Christian school? How many of you guys feel like there's people who sin in your Christian school? yeah absolutely you know in a school whether you're in a public school or private school you're supposed to influence the culture for christ but more often than not the culture influences you i remember um there was this girl years ago when i was a counselor in this youth group and uh i remember this girl it was back when social media first started to come out you know when facebook and myspace started to really get big i remember this girl would go to camps and she would just get on fire for Jesus, like on fire. Like she would go up, she'd cry in the worship service. She'd come home, she'd just be so emotional and she'd get on her MySpace and her Facebook and she'd just start posting like poems and songs that she wrote to Jesus. It was amazing. Then summer was over. And once summer was over and she went back to school, all of a sudden, the posts and the things that she posted on social media, it wasn't poems and, and songs about Jesus. As soon as school started, about three weeks in, her Facebook and MySpace wall was covered with dirty memes, jokes about sex, pictures of herself trying to look hot, basically trying to fit in with the world. And it's sad that we do this. Honestly, we can be so fake at times. We can be so unauthentic. We adapt to whatever makes us feel we fit in in the moment. Instead of being real, we react to culture by letting it shape us instead of letting Jesus shape us so that we can shape the culture for Jesus. So how does Daniel react to the culture? In the story of Daniel, and we're getting ready to read, don't worry. But in the story of Daniel... Daniel is put in this gnarly Babylonian culture where they're trying to brainwash him. Does Daniel say, I've got to get out of this culture. I've got to get out of Babylon because it's evil. I've got to find a safe place. No, Daniel and his friends stay in the culture. They don't leave. They realize that God actually put them in the culture. See, they're smart. They realize King Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he kidnapped us and put us in this culture, but really God put us in this culture because he wants to use us. So they resisted the sin. They loved their culture and they had a huge impact on it. They were not silent about their faith. So let's read Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six, verse one. It pleased King Darius, notice it's a new king, it's not Nebuchadnezzar anymore, it's Darius. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, satraps were sort of like mayors of towns, so 120 mayors, satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to Daniel and to the governors so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because, An excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought of setting him over the whole realm." Here's the background. 60 years later from chapter one is where we find ourselves. So Daniel is a young man when he's captured. Now 60 years has passed. Daniel is around 80 years old. The Babylonian Empire had been conquered by the Medo-Persians, and the new King Darius is now in charge. He is setting up his government and Daniel, this this young boy who's now in his 80s, this Jewish captive, has been so good at his job as being a royal advisor. Uh, he's, he's around all these guys who are considered magicians and fortune tellers, but they're always telling the fortunes wrong. They're never getting it right because they don't have any real power. Daniel is speaking all of this wisdom and truth because it comes from God. He's doing such a good job at his job that the king makes him num- one of the number three guys in his kingdom, and the king actually wants to make Daniel his number two, his vice king. That's how good Daniel has lived in Babylon during all this time he's been through many different kings he's seen many different empires and he's still rocking it and the king says Daniel you've been here longer than me you have this lockdown Daniel you should run the kingdom so I can just chill and do nothing and obviously this made people jealous of Daniel so look at verse four So the governors and satraps, the mayors of the towns, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. He's the best. They can't find anything to accuse him of. He has integrity and character. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, oh, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. See, they notice a weak spot Daniel has. They notice that Daniel really, really loves his God. And so they say, we're going to hit him there. Look at verse six. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king. I don't know what that means. That's a weird word. They thronged before the king. I didn't study that Hebrew word. Um, and, And they said thus to him, King Darius, live forever all the governors of the kingdom, verse 7, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, they've all come together to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever petitions or prays to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. This is pure manipulation. These guys are so sneaky. They're saying, oh king, you're so amazing. King, you're like a god, bro. And the king totally has like a Kanye complex. And he's like, oh yeah, you know what? I am a god. They say, king, you're so you're so godly you're so godlike we want to propose a law because you're so godlike wouldn't it be great if everyone was not allowed to pray to any god except you because you're pretty much a god king that'd be so great and if they pray to any other gods you know what we're gonna throw them in the lion's den it's gonna be death by lions and in verse 8 they say now O king establish this decree and sign it in writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the medes and Persians, which does not change therefore king darius signed the written decree king darius is like that's a great idea I'm I'm tremendous. I'm amazing. So he signs it into law. This is a huge problem for Daniel, right? A huge problem for Daniel, right? Are you with me? You with me? It's a huge problem. Because Daniel's a believer in Yahweh, the one true God. And Daniel prays all the time. This is beyond, you know, being a follower of God makes things awkward for me sometimes at parties. No, this is if I follow God, I'm going to die. So what does Daniel do? Daniel's super punk rock. Check out what he does. Uh, Verse 10. This is amazing. We all know this story, most of us, but if, this is just amazing. I, look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, because remember, he's like one of like the king's head advisors. So when they come to the king and they bring this, this rule, hey, king, if anyone prays, I'm guessing Daniel was like in the room. He's probably standing by the king and they're like glaring at him, like if anyone prays, and Daniel's just like, whatever, guys. Like he's just looking at him like, you don't faze me. D- look at what he does. Look at it. verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home, and he went in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, and he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel's amazing. It's like he's got this personal tradition. It's like this is his devotion time. Three times a day, he opens up his windows where everyone can see, and he prays out loud to God. This is amazing. And he he prays and he opens his window and he prays to the east towards Jerusalem. Um, He probably was doing it because of this verse in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35. It says, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards Jerusalem and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive their sins, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live. Send rain on the land you gave your people for Inheritance. This is probably Daniel's life verse. Daniel knew the Bible really well, and he's he's in he's in exile. He's been captured. The reason that God allowed Babylon to conquer Israel is because they were in sin, and he probably read this verse and it had so much meaning to him because this verse is talking about when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because of the people's sin. That's what it feels like. It feels like in his life, like even though that's not exactly what's happening, it's not like there's a famine, there's, it's, there, there's still rain, but he feels like in his life, like the heavens are shut up on Israel and everyone's captured and it just feels like, God, send the rain of your justice and your mercy. And, and, and this verse probably was the reason that Daniel in his mind, he, he prayed and he looked towards Jerusalem He's in Babylon in his window, but he, he would face Jerusalem and he'd look and he'd remember the city of God and he'd pray for it. and He'd pray for his people. Now notice, this is something that Daniel does three times a day. Is this a command? Is there anywhere in the Bible that says, hey, thou shalt pray three times a day Looking towards Israel. If, if that's a command, then I don't know if we're going to heaven because like, none of us have been doing that. If there's anyone here that's been like, looking towards Israel three times a day and praying, let me know. No, it's not a command. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt pray towards Israel three times a day. There's, it's not a command. This is actually just part of Daniel's life. It's, it's a routine. It was a personal tradition he had set to take time out of his day to honor God and to ask for help. And this tradition was very important to him. This story is not about a sin that Daniel won't commit. It's about a practice he won't stop. It's about something that was so important to him he was willing to die for it. And it, seriously, like seriously, are you, are you with me? Track with me here. Daniel is in the room when they say anyone caught praying publicly will be thrown into the lion's den. Dude's like 80 years old. Like I don't wanna be 80 years old in a lion's den. I don't wanna be 27 years old in a lion's den. It sounds terrible. Wouldn't it have been so easy for him to take a month off of like praying by the window, right? Like, what if he just went into his closet and prayed? What if he just like did what we all do and like mental praying in your mind while you're walking down the street where no one knows that you're praying? Couldn't he have just done that? Like, honestly, it wasn't like they asked him to like, Daniel, renounce your faith. Tell everyone you worship the gods of Babylon. No, they didn't say that. They didn't say, Daniel, murder someone. No, it was just, Daniel, don't pray in public. Don't open up your window and pray. Just stop praying by the window. It's amazing. It's amazing that to Daniel, it was worth dying for. For him to not let go of this practice that he had with God. He wanted to live out his faith, not just in private, but in public. It was so important to him that publicly, he was known as a man of faith, that publicly people were ministered to him. Or they were ministered to by the way that he prayed publicly. And that's convicting for me. It's inspiring, but it's convicting. Because to be honest, this is what I was thinking about. Um, so one of the things I've done, please don't think I'm a terrible pastor or a terrible person. But one of the things that I've just, over the last couple of years, is I don't really, like, when I go out to eat, pray for my food in public. Um, because it's honestly, it's honestly this. I'm such a, like... I hate like just doing things cause we've always done them. Like I had a youth pastor who was really big on it. He's like, yeah, everyone always prays and they say, thank you God for this day. Why do we always say that? Like, do we even mean it? Do like, what does that even mean? Thank you God for this day. Like, For some reason, I stopped praying publicly for meals because I was like, God doesn't care. Like he doesn't, like, it's not like if I eat this pizza and I didn't pray, Lord bless the food that I'm gonna choke on it and die. Like what's what's the point? Why even do that? Well, now I'm looking at Daniel and the dude's like, he's so dedicated to open up his windows and pray in public because it's a witness to other people. I'm convicted that I need to start praying for my food in public, not because if I don't bless the pizza, I'm gonna die, but because when people see me praying in public, it says something. It says that I'm a follower of God. There's something different about me. My dad's a pastor and he's been telling me that he's actually led people to the Lord because they saw him praying for his food in public. And they asked him like, hey, why are you praying? And he was able to lead people to the Lord. So that's just something I'm convicted about. Here's the rest of the story. So I'll just paraphrase. We don't have time to go through the whole thing, but here's what happens. So the the evil advisors, they see Daniel praying and they go to the king and they say, hey king, Daniel's been praying in public. Did you not say that anyone who does that is gonna be thrown to the lion's den? It's total manipulation. The king is so upset because he loves Daniel. Daniel's like his BFF, his like right-hand man. So the king tries to save Daniel, but he can't because he signed it into law. And once you sign into law, it can't be changed. So he throws Daniel in the lion's den. And you know, back in those days, lion hunting was actually something that kings did. They would go off into like the jungle and they'd hunt lions and they'd bring them back and throw them in these pits. And it was like the king's personal execution toy. He would keep this family of lions in a pit to throw uh, people into who were criminals and people who were a threat to the empire. And so Daniel is being punished for his public faith. He wasn't a silent believer. The king and his coworkers, they knew everything about his faith. It wasn't secret. And the king is miserable. Daniel spends a night in the lion's den. It's all closed up. Everyone's wondering what's gonna happen. The next morning they open it expecting to find body parts and bones. And when they open it up, what do they see? Daniel is still alive. He's chilling with the lions. Everything's fine. God got him through the night. The king is like, dude, your God is amazing. Get out of that lion's den. And then he gets Daniel out and then he throws all of the guys who accused Daniel into the lion's den. They get eaten by the lions. Gnarly stuff. The end of the story is huge though. Darius ends up writing a letter. This is what the letter says. It's in the last uh, chapter, but it says uh, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. He writes this letter to the kingdom and he's like, guys, we are worshiping the wrong gods. Listen, everyone worship Yahweh. He's the only God that saves people from the lions. How cool is that? Daniel's influence changes a nation. Daniel's influence of like, what did he do? Did he go around like shouting from the rooftops? Like, Hey, follow Yahweh. No, he was faithful and he just prayed by his window and he changes the nation. Daniel's theme is influence. And in the book of Daniel, there's negative influence. How do we keep from getting influenced by Babylon? How do we keep from getting sucked into the wickedness of Babylon? But then there's also positive influence. How do we influence Babylon for Yahweh? And it's the same way. In your schools, there's negative influence. As a Christian, you're struggling. How do I not get sucked into the wickedness of my school? But then there's there's also positive. How can I influence and impact my school for Jesus? See, there's difference between power and influence. Power is something that we crave as humans. We want power. Power is top down, it's position, it's making others do what you want. And we all crave it. We want people to look up to us, we want people to respect us. People in general that are not good with power. Look at all the wars that have been started throughout the world. Look at what the popular kids in your school have done to other people through gossip and lies, right? Tearing other people down to get on top. People are not good with power, even Christians. Influence is different than power. Influence is not tap down, it's center, It's based on person and not position. It's not to force people, but to convince them. To influence someone is to enlist them to join a cause from their own free will, not to force them into it. And Christianity, guys, I really think a key thing for young people, please listen, I think a key thing for not just young people, all Christians, is we need to stop seeing Christianity as a religion and we need to see it more as a cause and a relationship. Christianity is absolutely a cause. The cause started back when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and the World broke. The cause of God from that moment on has been to rescue people and bring them into the family of God and give them forgiveness for their sins and hope for the future and hope for heaven and friendship and connection with God. And there's so many people out there who don't have that. And the cause of Christianity is we've been saved. Thank goodness. Let's not just sit around and do nothing with it, but let's go out and let's bring other people into the family of God. Let's invite people into the story. And we miss out on it because we think it's a religion and we think it's about these rules that we don't keep and and going to church this many times a week and or else we're not a good Christian. I was just talking to a lady at my church um, who was up at the front desk, just sweetest old lady, but she was telling me about her young granddaughter and how she's not walking with Jesus. And I'm like, really? Like, she's not a Christian? She's like, oh, well, you know, she is a Christian. And I'm like, well, what makes you think she's not walking with Jesus? And she's like, well, I asked her the other day, do you read your Bible and pray every day? And she said, no. And I was like... Honestly, some days I don't read my Bible. Like some days I don't have a long prayer session, but you know what? I am a part of the cause of Jesus Christ. I am in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so even though I don't every single day at a certain specific time, get up and read my Bible, every day I'm in communication with God. Every day I'm talking to him And there's so many days throughout the week where I am reading my Bible and I am listening to the Holy Spirit. God, what do you want me to do today? There's so many days where I have a really busy day and I don't do that, but I'm still talking to God and I'm thanking him. And then there's other days where like the whole day is just me in connection with God and doing his His work and it fluctuates, but that's what a relationship looks like. If Christianity is just make sure you read your Bible and pray every single day, or you're not a good Christian, which honestly is exactly how I felt growing up. I felt like if I didn't read my Bible and pray every single day, I just wasn't a good Christian. That's what the adults in my life told me. I had to do to be a good Christian. So I just spent my whole life really feeling like I wasn't a good Christian because I, I, I just, I didn't realize it wasn't about religion. It was about a relationship and a cause. And now for me that I feel like in my heart that I, Jesus loves me so much and he wants this deep relationship with me. The reason I read my Bible a ton is because I want a deeper relationship with Jesus, not because some adult is saying, hey, you better do this or I'm gonna give you the stink eye. The reason that I wanna tell people about Jesus, the reason that I wanna share the gospel is because I realize that God created me to be a part of something bigger than myself, to be a part of a cause that goes back to the beginning of history that is so much bigger than getting a house and a boat and a big bank account and having a couple kids and retiring on a beach and collecting seashells by the seashore. You know what I'm saying? We're called to a cause and a relationship. It's so much more than just read your Bible and pray every day. I, want, I, I would love to read my Bible and pray every day. I'd love to be super disciplined in the morning like some people. I, I, I actually want that, but the reason I want it is not because it's religious. It's because I just want to be closer to Jesus. So anyway, moving on from that, leaders have influence. Artists, rappers, dancers, celebrities, You guys can probably think of right now someone who influences you. You're probably subscribed to their YouTube channel or following their Instagram account. Martin Luther King Jr. had a lot of influence. Influence is what we are after as Christians. Not power. As followers of Jesus, we're out to influence. We're called to influence others to join the story of Yahweh and Jesus Christ. But very few of us get to influence big people. Big C culture, you know what I'm talking about? Like like culture where like everyone's talking about you. Like you know those guys who are like, dang, Daniel. you know, we're talking about Daniel, <laughs> those guys influenced the big C culture. Like they were on Ellen. You know what I mean? Like everyone knew about them. Um, many of us aren't going to go that far. We're not going to influence big culture, but you know what? We all get to influence the culture around us. All of us have a sphere of influence. Most of us have a really small sphere of influence. You know, maybe you've got uh, five or six people that you know that you directly impact every day, maybe smaller. Some of you guys have bigger spheres of influence. Some of you guys are captains of sports teams. Some of you guys are on the school ASB leadership at your school. Some people have huge influences. I was talking to this guy named Deuce Galvin. Um, He is from Lompoc. He's a buddy of mine that I grew up in, and he is a photographer who's really good at editing his Instagram photos and he gets just thousands and thousands of followers. And people just hang on his every word, everything he posts, he'll he'll say like, hey, tag someone that you care about. And like people are just like thousands of people tagging. It's so cool to watch what he does. And the awesome thing is this guy doesn't just use his influence for his own popularity, but he goes on and he actually shares about the Lord. And he, not every single post, but like, you know, every fifth or sixth post, he'll say something about Jesus. And I can see in the comments, people are like, whoa, like, you're so cool. And you follow Jesus? Like, tell me more about this. It's so cool. We all have a sphere of influence. And if we as a youth group want to have influence, we need you guys, you guys, to start living in to your identity and your calling. Your identity is you are children, chosen children of King Jesus. And your calling is he has called you, not Just me, Pastor Aaron, he is calling you, ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader, guy or girl going off to college in a few months. God has called you to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just coming each week asking, you know, how can God help me with what I'm going through? That's a part of it. We come to church saying, hey, God, I need help. But we need to also come and say, God, how can I help you with what you're doing? How can I be a part of your story? Not asking you to make my story better. How can I be a part of your story? Guys, some of you guys need to just go for it. Some of you guys need to just go for it. Some of you guys need to start Bible studies at your school, but there's already a few. Start another one. There's people out there who won't go to that one, but they'll go to yours if you start it. I remember I went to a Christian school that had a Bible class every single day. And God told me at Calvary Christian school to start a Bible study. And I thought no one will come to that. That would be so embarrassing. I'm already the pastor's kid. I already got voted most likely to be a missionary in the yearbook. Everyone already thinks I'm a huge dork. Like I do not want to start a Bible study. So the the Lord told me to do it. And I ended up doing it with my sketchy skater friend, Court. And uh, we started this Bible study and he played worship and I taught. And like by the third week, we had like 40 people coming who like, it was lunch period and we just had Bible class for fourth period and they were coming and we were having kids teaching and I wasn't doing all the teaching. We had kids teaching who were sharing what God was doing in their life. And for, you know, the six months that we did it, it was this great, beautiful thing. Some of you guys need to do that. Some of you guys need to go witnessing without me. Like not the one Saturday a month or so that we go out and do witnessing. Some of you guys need to just get some friends and say, we're gonna go down to Carlsbad and we're gonna talk to people about Jesus. Some of you guys need to start community volunteer programs with your friends. We're gonna go and pull weeds at old people's homes. You know, our church used to have a salt and light program where we went and we pulled weeds and we painted houses and fences. And you know what? No one in the church wanted to do it anymore after a while and it stopped. What if someone your age started it back up again? Some of you need to steady hard and work hard now to become a missionary or a musician or, or a YouTube sensation who's super popular and gets a lot of likes but influences people for Christ. Some of you guys need to work hard on your Instagram game because God wants you to be the next Deuce Galvin and bless people with your pictures and also point them to Christ. Some of you guys need to work on your photography or, or to be an evangelist or a CEO of a big company because God wants to use you. If you're at school right now and you're just totally slacking and not trying, man, get in the game because God put you in your school just like God put Daniel and Babylon, God put you in your school right now and he put you in the classes that you're in and he put you with those teachers that you can't stand because he has a plan and a purpose for you. Stop fighting it and live into what God is doing in your life. Whatever crazy dream God has for you, chase it. I'm behind you, let me know. If you have a crazy dream, if you're like, man, I've got this crazy dream, this crazy thing I've always wanted to do for the Lord, I have no idea how it's going to happen. Like, let me know. And I will start praying for you right now. And hopefully in 10 years or five years or even maybe one year, we'll see God do it. We're behind you. The rest of us, those of us here who maybe you don't have a big dream or you don't, you don't want to start some big Bible study. You know what? The, the rest of us who maybe feel more small scale and stuff, we need to combine our influence, not for power, but not to Christianize things. You know, I, uh, it was so sad. I, um, I'm in this youth pastor forum on Facebook. It's all these other youth pastors from different uh, states and churches. And this one guy gets in there and he's like, man, we need to do something. I need your guys' advice. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And he starts talking to us and he's like, you know, at this school that I do FCA club, we have Christian club at this school. There's this gay club that's coming out of nowhere. And all these gay kids are having this gay club. And man, like, what do we do? And I'm thinking like, oh, like, yeah, like you should totally like witness to them and show them who Jesus is and love on them. And he's like, I think, I, you know, me and, my, me and my kids have been talking. We just think it's so gross. Like we were going to go to the principal and try to shut them down and like try to like pick at them and say they shouldn't have a club. And I was just like, who are you? Like you're a youth pastor? Like what on earth? When did Jesus ever try to like sh- shut down sinners from being who they are? Like when did Jesus ever try to go to prostitutes and pick at them and say, you prostitutes are so bad, go home, don't prostitute in our city. No, Jesus hung out with the prostitutes. He got to know them, he loved them, he shared with them, and then he showed them how they could have freedom from their prostitution by choosing a better way. That's what we're called to do in our schools, not to look at sinners and say, oh, these terrible sinners, I'm gonna just hang out with my Christian friends. No, we're called to go to the sinners and spend time with them because you know what? We were sinners doomed for hell without Christ. We should never look down on someone else for their sin, but always love people into the kingdom. We're called to be a witness in our sphere of influence. The world needs a witness. And we witness by introducing people to God. So there's two parts of being a good witness. One is how you live your life, and the other is your words. So let's look at really quick your life. Let's focus on your life, how you live your life. Daniel's life is a great example. Daniel had three things that I want you guys to hold on to tonight. He had excellence, character, and faithfulness. He had excellence. If you wanna be a good witness, you need excellence. Remember, Daniel was known as someone who was so good at his job that everyone looked at him and said, this guy is excellent. For us as Christians, it's about us doing our best at everything. Because when you do your best at everything, even algebra, when you hate algebra, it brings glory to God. In Ecclesiastes, it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Man, algebra, I hated it at school. If I could go back in time and try harder, I would. Even though I never made it past algebra one, my math, I never did trigonometry, I never did geometry. I went to a really weird school. Uh, Calvary Christian was even weirder back when I was a kid. Like somehow I graduated and got through all that stuff uh, without getting past algebra one. But if I could go back and try harder, I would have. Because honestly, I did not care. I did not care about my schoolwork. I thought it was a waste of time. If I could go back and try my hardest to really bless my students or bless my, my teachers and my parents and the people around me. See, I was this Christian trying to tell people about Jesus and be a good guy, but then everyone saw that I didn't care about my work. Everyone saw that before class I was asking people, what'd you get for problem 22? What'd you get for problem 23? Like everyone saw that I wasn't applying myself and it wasn't it was an excellence. Man, the Lord wants you guys to do your best at everything. Volleyball, football, being a sibling, Being a leader here in this group, and that means after the service, putting away chairs and picking up trash and being a servant of all. Being a good friend. Working at Jamba Juice. Man, it's crazy. If you do it with love and passion, the Lord can do great things. It's crazy. Um, Scott Sanford's brother, Bobby Sanford, I was talking to him. Guy's amazing. He's like 24 years old, and he started working at Jamba Juice Years ago, when he's like 19, and he's thinking, you know, it's just going to be a summer job. He's thinking, you know, it's just something to pass the time, something to get some money, but he did his best at it. He worked hard, he wasn't just like, I I see so many young people, and I I don't say this in a judgmental way because I was exactly like this at 17, 18 years old. Honestly, I had a horrible work ethic, but I see so many young people, uh, 18, 19, 20, who are in jobs, and it's like, this is just something to make the bucks, and I'm not gonna try, and I hate my boss, and I'm gonna talk trash about him, and they don't put any work or effort into anything, and they go nowhere. Bobby, Uh, Scott's brother, Bobby, he tried really hard. He worked with excellence. He's now the regional manager of all of the Jamba Juices in San Diego. Like the guy probably makes more than I could even imagine. It's crazy. It's crazy when you do things with excellence, what the Lord can do with you. And now he's influential and he's, he's blessing so many people and showing people what a Christian boss looks like. The reality is, is when you're good at what you do, people take notice and you grow in influence. Here's the second thing, character. What's character? Character, I would define it as when what's inside your heart comes out for people to see. In verse four of uh, Daniel chapter six, it says they couldn't find any corruption in Daniel. It says this, I love this, he was neither corrupt nor negligent. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. You know, some people are not corrupt. They've got great hearts, like people who just, you know, they love people. But they're they're negligent. That means they're constantly dropping the ball. Have you ever met someone like that? They're super nice. Everyone loves them. Like they're super chill. But they you can't count on them. He's a great guy to have at a party. But like you just don't ask him to bring the chips and dip because he'll forget. Then there's other people who are always on it. They're just like they're super ambitious. They're super driven. But they're shady. Like there's, have you guys met someone like that? Like a friend at school who like, they're just, you know, they're like, I'm going to be valedictorian. But then they're like, totally like talking to the teacher, like talking trash about other students and like pushing other people down and stepping over other people to get in their positions. Man, Daniel was, he, he was the best of both worlds. He was always on it. And there was nothing bad in his character. Guys, we need to live a life that makes people stop and pay attention. At the end of the day, your character shapes your destiny. Your character will catch up with you. If your character doesn't match your excellence, eventually you'll be found out. Have you guys heard about, who's been following the Olympics? Anybody, Olympics, yeah? There's that guy, uh, what's his last name, Ryan? Lochte. Lochte? Lochte. Lochte, Ryan Lochte. The guy's got 19 gold medals. He gets drunk, vandalizes a gas station, and then lies about it. Guys, no one's going to remember him for those 19 gold medals. They're going to remember him as the guy who vandalized a gas station and then lied about it. Your character shapes your destiny. And we're in an age of, right now, guys, seriously, please listen. We're, We're in an age of what is called moral ambiguity. What that means is there's no value for higher authority. Have you guys noticed this? Like, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Have you guys noticed this with people in your school, people in your friends group? There's no value for higher, higher authority. There's no value for God as an authority, for church, for mom, dad, the Bible, for teachers. All of those authorities are considered not important. So what has become uh, now is there's a worship of internal authority. What that means is it's a worship of the self. It's not about, what does God say? What does my parents say? What do the people I look up to in my community say? It's how do I feel about it? What, how do I feel? What makes me feel right? And that's exactly Genesis chapter three. Back to the story, the beginning of the Bible. What? God makes a tree, says, hey, this is what I say. Don't eat it. And the snake shows up, Satan, the enemy, Hasatan. And he says to Eve, how do you feel about this? Wouldn't you like to feel different? Wouldn't you like to feel powerful? Guys, right now, this is what we worship. This is the song that's been playing on the radio since I was a kid. We worship authenticity. We worship the line, be true to yourself. If your flesh wants to sin, you be true to it. You do whatever you want to do. That's why right now, Character sticks out more than ever because character is rare. Someone who has the goodness of God in their heart and they're not just looking out for number one. Guys, have character in your schools and in your families and in your life. The third thing is faithfulness. Remember, Daniel's in his 80s and he's still at it. Back at it again with the faithfulness, Daniel. He's still going for it. He's faithful to God, he's faithful to others. Guys, if you wanna have influence, you need to be faithful. Our generation doesn't like faithfulness. I, I'm a millennial, you guys are millennials. My, you guys are, I'm in your generation. I'm one of the old guys in your generation. You guys are at the lower end. We're millennials. Our generation doesn't like faithfulness because faithfulness takes a long time. We're the generation of the microwave, TV on demand, streaming whatever you want. I would never go to a Blockbuster or a Hollywood video. I go on Netflix and I try to watch what I want. If I don't have it there, I go to Hulu, and if it's not there, I go to YouTube. We, we want it on demand, we want it right now. We don't want ads, we want it right now. Instagram, instantaneous grams, <laughs> I don't know. Um, we want it now. I love Amazon Prime, oh my goodness. Guys, I order so many things on Amazon Prime that I could just drive five minutes to the store to get, and it shows up on my doorstep in a package, and all I had to do was click a button, so I'm with you. I get it, but guys, listen, technology has given us the world at our fingertips, but technology will never be able to speed up character. Technology will never be able to speed up your relationship with the Lord. You'll never find an app that will make you a better follower of Jesus just by using it. No, it takes a lifetime of deliberate faithfulness. It takes waking up in the morning and saying, I know I was born into a Christian home. I know I'm a part of a Christian family, but today am I going to follow Jesus? It takes seeing your relationship with God, not as a chore, but as a privilege, something you're excited about. We need to be faithful. So, Final part of the message. We need to talk about, it's not just about our life, how we live, it's about our words, what we say. Daniel was a witness. We're called to be a witness. Witness is a weird word. Please track with me, okay? Please track with me. Witness is a weird word, but what it means is we connect people with God. We show people who God is. So here's what it meant for Daniel to be a witness to Yahweh. He didn't have a bullhorn, he didn't have a sick tattoo, he didn't have a social media hashtag. Daniel publicly put himself out there and just said, I'm a follower of Yahweh, right from the start. He gets brought into Babylon, what does he do? He refuses to eat the king's food and drink his wine. He says, king, the reason I'm doing this is because I follow Yahweh. He prays openly and publicly. He tells the king about God. The king brings him in to interpret a dream. And Daniel says, let me tell you what God says about this dream. Daniel's just nonstop, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. He's talking about God. It's a part of his normal conversation. Everyone knew. What about you? What about me? Does everyone know that we're followers of Jesus? And sure, you guys all know I'm a follower of Jesus because I sit here and talk to you guys every week about it. But what about my neighbors and friends? What about this guy named Tony who works at Albertsons that I see every single time I go there? He's, he's the cashier I always go to, a guy with spiked hair and glasses named Tony. Does he know I'm a follower of Jesus? I'll tell you right now, he doesn't because I've never told him. And now I'm convicted that I need to. Is it common knowledge? Does your teacher know that you're a follower of Jesus? Does your boss, if you work, know? Does the girl you sit next to in class know? Do your teammates know? Does your extended family know? And you might say like, well, I go to a Christian school. Some of you guys, I go to a Christian school. So of course everyone does. You know what, honestly, big one. I can't tell you how many kids I know who went to a Christian school called Calvary Christian School, and now they are not walking with Jesus at all. And looking back, I should have noticed the warning signs that they never were walking with him in the first place. They went to school because their parents made them. They kind of tried to get through Bible class, but they never made the decision that they were going to follow Jesus. Not just to ask Jesus to save them, but to follow Jesus. I'm not asking if people know you are a Christian. I'm asking, do they know that you're a follower of Christ? We were called to be not just believers, but disciples. Our generation has lost a passion for evangelism. Because evangelism, I mean, that's kind of like, that's a weird old school world or word, right? Evangelism, what does it mean? It means to preach the good what? The good news. It's a great commission. It's an essential part of being a follower of Jesus is to preach the good news. You tell others about the Jesus story and you invite them to be a part of it. Here's two reasons that we've lost this passion for evangelism. One, again, we're post-Christian. What does that mean? People don't want anything to do with public faith. People say this, they're like, believe whatever you want. I don't care what you believe, but you can believe in unicorns for all I care, but keep it to yourself. Don't drag it into the classroom. Don't drag it into the workplace. Keep it private, Uh, overwhelming social pressure to just shut up. Maybe you feel that, Just, just go to church, keep it to yourself. And here's another reason why we don't evangelize. A lot of old ways of telling people about Jesus just don't work anymore. Like that classic evangelism event of like a big concert with some Christian band that no one's heard of and like 95% of the people who come are already saved. Like that used to work. Like when me and Dylan were kids, like they do these big concerts and like people would come. Nowadays there's so many more bands and like options and social media presence. Like in the, in, the, in the days before the internet, it was like a flyer would come out every once in a while. It's like, oh, I want to go to that. Now there's so many options. No one's really going to these concerts. Another one was door-to-door evangelism. Did you guys know back in the 70s? Um, So like in the 70s, churches would have these like fill out cards. If you're a new person to the church, fill out this information. And then the next morning, like the pastors in the church would show up to people's houses Monday morning, suit and tie with coffee and say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Can you imagine if like... After church, me and Dylan showed up at your front door wearing suits and we had some like Stumptown coffee and we're like, hey, you wanna talk about Jesus? You'd be like, I'm calling the police, get off my lawn. It just, it just doesn't work anymore. The world has changed and there's so many cheesy, lame stuff. Like, have you guys ever seen that one uh, tract where it's like, it's like, oh sweet, a hundred dollar bill. And then you open it up and it's like, what would happen if you died right now? And you're like, dang it, I wish I was dead right now. This is terrible. Like that that kind of stuff. Or, or like, you know, the guy with the sign, you know, that, that uh, crazy sign that's like, you know, God is coming to judge, fear the fires of hell. And then the backside is like, Obama's the antichrist. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. We're so turned off by evangelism done bad, evangelism that's cheesy and angry. You know, um, I sent out a question to you guys, a poll question. And it was like, you know, what, what are reasons that it makes it hard for you guys to share the gospel? The number one answer was the gospel is not really a normal talk it, topic. It would be awkward. Sharing the gospel would just be awkward. That would be so awkward. And then here's another one. Um, this got two votes. So 10% of the vote. Um, <laughs> I think people can believe what they want to. I don't want to int- impose my beliefs on other people. So we see, we see bad witnessing. And we like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, we just stop preaching the, the gospel. Listen, guys, if, if we truly believe, are you with me? If we truly believe in the gospel, that makes no sense to stop preaching it because some people have bad methods. Think about this. Okay, listen, question, question. Please look up at me and not on your phones. Please, I beg you, millennials, I love you. Question, if we truly believe, believed if we truly had proof that a comet was going to come and destroy Vista in one month's time, if you knew that and you had scientific proof and you also knew that a rich billionaire wants to completely pay out of pocket to help anyone move out of Vista who wants to, if you knew that to be factually true and that everyone who didn't get out of Vista would die from getting hit with a comet I mean, if you, if you really believe that, would it be weird if the reason we didn't show people the evidence that a comet was going to destroy this day and try to get people to move was because we're like, well, I don't want people to get annoyed at me. Like, I don't want people to get like annoyed. Like, like, I mean, that's annoying to have someone like come up to you in the middle of the day and be like, hey, there's a comet coming. Here's scientific proof. That's just weird. Or like, you know, I don't want to offend people. Like someone might be like, how dare you? Like uh, my parents were murdered by a comet. Like, why would you say this to me? <laughs> or like, you know, uh, you know, maybe like, if you're like, well, you know, people can believe whatever they want. Like, I mean, I know there's a comet coming for sure, but like some people might not want to believe there's a comet, and they might want to just get hit by the comet. I mean, people can believe whatever they want. I don't want to impose my beliefs on other people. Wouldn't that be weird if that was our reasons for not sharing that message, right? Are you with me guys? Relating, tying tying the, the link between the two, we believe that people have a natural disease they're born with called sin nature that is poisonous and killing them. And we believe that God loves everyone and died for everyone so that they can be in a relationship with a loving father, creator, God. Here's what I realized, we tell ourselves the lie that the reason we don't witness is because we don't wanna bother people. In reality, it's just selfishness. And you might be like, oh, don't call me selfish, Aaron. I'm not, I'm calling myself selfish. I was preparing for this message this week, Tuesday. The end of the day, I had worked really hard. I've been trying to lose weight. I was like, I'm gonna go out and walk and exercise. I put in my headphones, I put on my music, I started going for it, I started to build up a good speed. And all of a sudden, I hear, hey man, You got any change? And I look at these homeless guys and literally, I kid you not, I I almost wanted to pretend like I didn't hear them because of my headphones and just keep walking because I was like, I, I do not have time for this right now. For these two homeless guys, I don't have time for this. And the Lord was like, Aaron, you do. This is more important than you losing not even a pound today. <laughs> like walking for 20 minutes, like it's not gonna do anything, buddy. The Lord was like, just do this, Aaron, do this for me. Come on, this is important. I was like, oh, Lord, why? And honestly, I'm just gonna be straight up honest. I was like, I know that if I don't do this and then I spend the next day preparing a message on evangelism, like the Holy Spirit is going to depart from me and I will not be able to prepare this message. So I just, it was totally selfishness. I did not wanna share the gospel. I go, I talk to the guys, they want some food. I go and buy them some food. I end up talking to them for a half an hour. It is like the greatest conversation. And by the end of it, like I'm in tears. And the Lord actually spoke to me through the homeless guys. And I was able to share Jesus with them. And it was just, it was fantastic. And I was like, Lord, I don't deserve that. I'm just here to tell you the selfishness thing. It's a real, it's a real thing that we deal with. We don't want to share with other people, not because we're afraid of inconveniencing them, because really a lot of times it inconveniences us. Some people say that, and this is more, this is 5% of the vote, um, so one vote. Um, I think my actions as, Christian, as a Christian should speak louder than my words. Um, this is a quote from a blogger, so good. And I, I promise, five more minutes, I'm wrapping up. Um, <clears throat> so, This is a girl who wrote this on a blog. She said, as we set ourselves up firmly in this 21st century, big tent revivals and traveling evangelists have become a thing of the past, taught in history classes and portrayed in movies. Evangelism is often presented as an old school, out of style idea with little value or relevance in our fast paced urban world. The reality is that social media brings us quotes preaching the idea of easy evangelism. If we just live good enough lives, we can skip that awkward conversation entirely and people around us will just magically come to know Jesus through our good actions and selfless character. This style of evangelism is becoming more and more prevalent in a culture constantly looking for a fast track and simple easy fix. But if we believe God has called us to preach the gospel to all nations and all people, we must call the next generation back to a commitment to evangelism. So good guys. We have the words of life. St. Francis of Assisi had this quote. He said, Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's so dumb. I love St. Francis, but that's dumb. It's good news. Like if someone was like, Hey, go into the living room and tell your parents the daily news, and if necessary, use words. You know what that's called? That's just charades. And if you're trying to tell someone a complicated news, like you can't do it through charades. Guys, if you're dying, if you have a disease and you're dying and you don't want to die and someone has a way to tell you about it but you're not gonna, you don't even know you have the disease and someone comes to you and they try to tell you, do you want them to use words or charades? Words, words or charades? Words. words, you want them to use words. Yeah, yeah, yes, words, right? Words, words. The gospel is defined as good news that we need to preach. And it's scary to do. It's scary to do. Hmm. Here's the thing, here's part of the reasons that we're afraid to share Jesus with people. I said share really weird, Shear. I slur my words so much when I preach, my wife makes fun of me every time I do. Here's the reason that we don't like sharing Jesus is because we don't, it's like the social pressure, like we don't wanna feel like a salesperson. Who here likes to feel like they're selling something to someone, anybody? No, like no one likes that. But here's the reality, everyone is selling something, whether it's the gospel of Jesus or the gospel of Stranger Things or the gospel of the new Frank Ocean album or the gospel of money or sexual freedom or minimalism or more stuff or whatever your thing is, everyone is preaching something. Guys, the difference is you have the best news imaginable. You have the one relationship that will never let you down. Even in your secular school, people are hungry and thirsty for God. Humans were hardwired to be in a relationship with God and your private and public life needs to be lined up as a Christ follower. Before we close, I just want to give you guys, that's the end of my message. Here's what I'm going to give you guys now really quickly. So if any of you guys are like, how do I share the gospel with people in my schools? Really quick, here's my list. Here's the first thing to understand. How how many of you guys are interested in that? Like, just how do I talk to people about Jesus in my schools? Is anyone interested in that? So you guys all know, you're like, you got a format down. I'll share my format with you, okay? Keep it simple. Think of it this way. Guys, whether you're going to college or whether you're going to high school, simple, three things. Sickness, cure, are you going to take the medicine? Tell people about the problem. What's sin? Tell them about your own sin. Don't go up to people and say, hey, I noticed you're in sin. Hey, I noticed you're gay. Hey, I noticed you're sleeping with your girlfriend. Like, don't don't go up to people and say that. Go up and like tell them about how sin has impacted your life. Tell them about your struggle with sin. And they're gonna relate. They're gonna be like, yeah, I, I sin too. Then tell them about the cure. The sickness is sin, the cure is Jesus. Tell them what Jesus did. Tell them who Jesus is. Explain it in your own words. Just tell them about Jesus. And then you have to ask them, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Do you want to receive Jesus? Man, one time we were down in Encinitas and I was sharing with, um, I had four high school kids with me. We're sharing with like these eight surfers and we're telling them about the sin. And we're telling about Jesus. And then I almost walked away and was like, okay, I'm done. And the Lord was like, you have to ask them do you want to receive Jesus? Do you want Jesus? And I was like, that's so awkward. Like, it's awkward enough to tell them about Jesus. But I went for it and I said, do you guys want to receive Jesus? And like all eight of those surfers were like, yeah, bro, yeah, yes, we did, yeah. And then there was this guy in a van, another server who like gets out of his door and he's like, hey, I couldn't help it over here. Could I receive Jesus too? I'm shirtless, is that okay, bro? And then we prayed and we were like doing the sinner's prayer, and like all these guys are praying to receive Jesus. And we're like, Lord, save me. I need your help. Please come in my life. And they're repeating. And I'm like, In your name, amen. And the one guy was like, Steve, amen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's a couple ways. Really quick, I promise. I'm so sorry I'm taking up your small group time. Um, really quick. Different ways you can share the gospel. First way, way zero is pray. Why is it way, ze- or way zero? Because you start with it. Like don't do anything before you pray. Way number one, direct approach. Super scary. It works though. Go up to people and just be like, hey, have you ever heard the good news? What the heck is the good news? Share it with them. Seriously, people have gotten saved in this youth group from people in our group going out and sharing the good news that way. So don't knock it. Way number two, look for the hurting people. Think, seriously, look for the hurting people. Lonely kid at the lunch table. That's Jesus style, looking for the people who are hurting. The kid who doesn't have any friends, the kid who's unpopular, go to him, love them, be their friend, build relationship, let the love open the door. That's a Pete Townsend song. Um, Number three, intentional team evangelism. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this. When I was in high school, I never did this. Someone should do this and tell me if it works because it would be amazing, okay? Team up with other people in your school who are Christians. Like plan a day, like, hey guys, this Friday, this is our evangelism day and all day, like we're gonna pray the night before and we're gonna go and all day, we're gonna be looking for people together to share Jesus with. Guys, going out as a team, it'll blow your mind what it'll do. (laughs) Having a mission and purpose to not just be a Christian kid, but to be on mission for Jesus. Way number four, wait for opportunities to open up. Here's what this means. It means as you're going through your day at your school, be praying and saying, God, if there's anyone you have for me today, if there's anyone you want me to share with, if there's anyone you want me to speak with, send them to me, Lord. I cannot tell you how many people, when I've had the, patience to do that, just to spend the day asking God, if you have someone, send them to me. There's been times God has sent someone to me on that day where like literally by the end of the discussion, we're both like crying because like somehow it was the perfect conversation that was supposed to happen. And everything they were going through, God gave me everything to say to them that spoke to them about exactly what they're going through. And then they get saved. Guys, you can do that in your schools. And fifth, finally, is invite. Invite people to come to something we do. Invite people to come to a beach bonfire, home fellowship, Sunday, Wednesday, invite somebody. Just and say, hey, I want you to come hang out with my group and see what God does. Or even if you don't want to invite them to church, invite them to a hangout or a party where it's a group of friends who love Jesus and talk to your group of friends ahead of time and say, hey guys, I'm inviting my friend. She or he doesn't know Jesus. Let's be the best example to them. Let's show them what the love of Jesus looks like. So that's all I got. Let's pray. We'll do small groups. Lord, we love you. Thank you, God, that you have called us to be a witness. Thank you, God, for the story of Daniel. And thank you, God, that we can be a light like Daniel in a dark place. Thank you that we don't have to let the culture of our school, our college, our job overtake us. We don't have to become like them. God, but we also don't have to completely just Issue them and say, we don't want anything to do with them. God, you've called us to be in the culture of our work, our school, our college. You've called us to be in the culture so that we can be a light, not a stuck up religious person who doesn't hang out with the sinners. No, God, you called us to be the friends of sinners, to love the sinners and to show the sinners what the kingdom of God looks like. God, I pray for these people here. You'd send them out as missionaries this year to do great things for you. And as we break up in groups, God, I pray that you bless our time. We love you. In your name, amen.